Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. And we're back. Welcome back, Scriptorians. This is Lori, and you have joined us for this 20-minute Scriptorian, and we are headed into First and Second Thessalonians today. So this is part of Come Follow Me the uh, Gospel Doctrine Sunday School lesson plans for 2019 for the New Testament. And we're ended up, we've ended up here in October. So join me today as we're going to do the overview, which we call All About. So let's do that, sit down together and go through All About Thessalonians. All right. Well, we are really starting to wind up things. And I'm sure you're probably saying, hey, we've heard a lot about, um, the epistles, uh, and we are still in the epistles. Let me tell you a little bit about the background and the setting. It's not going to be too much different from what you're familiar with. And then I want to talk a little bit about structure of both first and second. So today, since these are such short epistles and they're written very close together to the same people, uh, we'll, we'll talk about all about and the overview for both. So first, who were these people? What's this letter? One thing to remember is the organization of the New Testament. So after you do the Gospels, by the way, Matthew is, seems the most like the Old Testament, so they started with Matthew, and then Mark, uh, Luke, and, and then John, and Luke is actually two parts, right? It's Luke and Acts, but kind of kept the Gospels together. And then you go into the epistles. Now, the epistles are ordered in a, they're not chronological, they're not by time of when they were written. In fact, Thessalonians is probably the the, the, the earliest one that was ever written. In fact, it's probably written before the Gospels were even written. So as far as the New Testament goes, First and Second Th Thessalonians are probably the first things written in the Christian era. Go figure. But they were organized, these epistles were organized, again, not by time when they were written, but how long they are, which sounds super ridiculous, but there you go. Remember, they were probably written on scrolls. So the scrolls, sometimes when you get First and Second um, of anything like... Samuel. It's because the scrolls were so long that they couldn't keep the paper that long. So they, they were cut in half, but they were really one book. And so they're first and second Samuel, which we would just call Samuel. But these are just letters, so they're small. But they're organized by length. Anyway, and then you'll you'll flip along and you'll say, well, Lori, that doesn't make any sense because I'm going to do Thessalonians and then Timothy and Titus and Philemon. And then all of a sudden you hit Hebrews, which is really long. And the reason why Hebrews, while it's long, is stuck after all these really short letters is because they were unsure of who wrote it. Uh, so while it was very awesome and it's one of my favorites, they weren't sure who wrote it. And so it kind of hung around out there for a while. And then we end up with the revelation of John, which we'll talk about later. But anyway, that's how it's organized. So you're really winding up and getting into these really short epistles. So there's some good news, bad news. The good news is they're super short. And so you can read them over and over again and you have plenty of time to study them because it will only take you about 10 minutes to read both of these epistles 
So you might as well jump in and, and really dig in. There's some great verses and some really meaty things that you can jump into and some inspirational things as well. Uh, so, so that's kind of just how it's organized. But this, um, let me talk a little bit about who we're writing to and who are these people. Um, uh, Thessalonica, as it's called, is a city, and it's in Macedon, uh, Macedonia. And so it's up kind of where we were talking last week. It's kind of up uh, by, it's the capital and a Philippi. So it's up near Philippi. It's not too far from there. And it's a very big it's a Roman city, but it's really Greek. And so they didn't have any more Roman taxes. They didn't have Roman armies within their walls. They had their own mint. They were able to do their own coinage. So while it was very pro-Roman, it, it was a very old standing Greek city. So Macedonia, as you remember, is the kind of the northern part of Greece, which we think of Greece today. But um, that was where Alexander the Great and his father Philip, where you get Philippi, were from. Um, was up there and so this is the city now Paul had had started the church there and he'd spent um, even after a month he spent some time there in Thessalonica and I think he and uh, Silas and Timothy and some of the other teachers they were teaching there and they thought you know will this take off because there really there was a big Jewish contingent there but again it's super Greek and super Roman this is really early on in teaching the gospel and you would think, boy, I've got to, not only do I have to convert them to Christ, it's kind of a Jewish thing. So I kind of have to convert them first to Judaism, or at least they have to understand it, and then talk about this Jewish Messiah in Jesus. And so they weren't sure how it would take off. And we find out that it does really well. Uh, in fact, the story is in Acts 17, if you want to jump there and, and learn about when they got there. So even after a month, the church just takes off. And just starts to grow incredibly well. However, as you can imagine, uh, one of the things that the people there are going to face are some serious persecutions. Um, so that's that's you're going to see that again. Uh, one of the things they're going to talk about is this King Jesus, this new Messiah, this new King, and the only King that they would have worshipped then was Caesar. And so they were very patriotic, and they were very, remember, they were so Roman or so approved by Rome, they didn't even have Roman soldiers there anymore. So it was like going to downtown Rome almost, and, and so they would have been very worried about someone coming in and saying there's a new king in town, not realizing that it was a, a religious kingdom. Um, and, and again, the people also said, hey, this second coming is imminent, so he's coming right away. And so it really stirred up some problems, in fact, um, Paul got kicked out of town as a part of it. Paul is just my hero. That guy has no fear. I mean, when he goes to teach, he he teaches. So so anyway, that was kind of who the Thessalonians were, super Greek, uh, very pro-Roman. And and then the, the, the church took off. The church took off a lot. And one of the things you're going to see, a couple of themes you're going to see is first, um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the structure and some of the themes. So in First Thessalonians, you are going to see that it's kind of a celebration of faithfulness in chapters one through three. So they're going to talk about this Thessalonian conversion, how they turned away from idols and they turned to the one true God. And then also um, Paul's going to talk about that mostly in chapter one. And then in chapter two, he's going to jump out a little bit and say, hey, when I was there, I showed you what being a real leader was about. Being a true disciple of Christ and being leader is being a servant. And he got very close to these people. And I love some of the words that he uses because he talks about them being, um, he was like a mother and a father to them. And they were like his children. 
And he says in verse 8 of chapter 2 that we were happy to share not only the good news from God, but our very selves, because we came to dearly love you. And for anybody who has served, which is probably all of us in any capacity, isn't that the truth? You really get to love the people that you serve as you become one of them. Um, and then he goes on and it continues in chapter two. Again, he's going to talk about this persecution that he's saying, hey, when we're suffering or being persecuted for our beliefs, it's just we're taking part of Christ's suffering. It's 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 an honor to be able to suffer in his name and and kind of participate in the story of Jesus. He also goes on to talk about um, what I love this part of the story is that he hasn't heard from we think he's writing from Corinth, actually, and he lives because he lives in Corinth for about two years, Paul. And he gets down there and he's like, boy, I sure hope they're okay up there in Thessalonica. And so he's thinking with all this Roman and Greek and just a lot of pressure and persecution up there. I wonder if they're they've survived. I wonder if the the branch or the ward up there has survived. So he sends Timothy who's quite a bit younger. So he sends Timothy up there. I says, check it out. And Timothy gets there and he says, you're not going to believe it, Paul, but not only are they still there, they're growing and they are strong in the gospel and they miss Paul. So these, uh, these beloved saints really take off and really start to grow the gospel. So it's an exciting part. So that's the end of three. He moves out of three and there's a prayer in the middle where he really talks about, um, let's see, it's 3, 11, and 13. It's very brief, but he has kind of a, a prayer saying, hey, let's increase your love and holiness and hope. And I think those are a couple, three of the main themes you're going to see in First Thessalonians, holiness, love, and hope, and hope for the future, hope for the future. So holiness, love, and hope. And in fact, if you go back to the very beginning of chapter one, one through five, he hits on those. And he says, I want to thank you for your faith, your love, and your hope. Uh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Then he goes on, chapter 4 and 5, it's just a challenge to grow. And you're going to see in, in uh, 4, this is where it gets really practical. So I love that Paul always brings the gospel back to the practical. What are we supposed to do with these big concepts of God and, and the Spirit, uh, which we'll talk about more later. But um, he, he brings it back to the practical. And one of them that he talks about is this holiness. And part of this holiness or being set apart or special or pure is sexual purity. And so he is going to say that if you're following the Savior, that instead of being uh, like the day and age, which very similar to our day and age, which was very immoral beliefs, is was that the right place for that is in marriage. And so in marriage, we can explore that and, and have a good relationship, a sexual relationship, but not somewhere else just around and about and, and so he's going to hit on that obviously a problem in the greek culture was to be very cosmopolitan or even the religion right you would go to the different temples we've talked about that and you would have a temple prostitute experience so strange but there you go he continues on in chapter four to just talk about another place is service um there's a there was a practice he talks about where people are idle and you might think it's like lazy it could be that it could also be a practice that was common in rome at the time, which is patronage. So it's like you have a patron, like a wealthy person who pays for you, and then you might be involved in their dealings. It might be a little nefarious. It might be a little, you know, a little bit, I don't know, back alley. But they would pay you occasionally to uh, to just be their supporter and do some of these 
random deeds. And so it might be that you're this lifestyle of just kind of waiting around as a client, uh, a client patron is probably not a great one. And he says, you know, remember that if you can work, you should work hard, not only so that you can make money and support yourself, but you can support others as well. So he talks a little bit about that. Chapter four, he goes on again, something that's going to be happening. And, and we may be able to talk about this is that they had had some people die uh, in the congregation and they were very worried about what would happen to them. And they also considered that maybe it was from persecution, even that these people had been killed, but they were worried about what would happen if, if uh, when Christ comes again and, and they weren't sure when it was happening. So they kind of thought it was right away. Some of them, it, it seems they were worried that would these people that it had deceased, would they, would they be around when Christ came back to earth, right? We're on earth now and our friends and family have died and where are they going to be? And he is going to talk to them that their fate would be, they would be caught up and meet him in the heavens. And that's where you see the famous painting of Christ and kind of the different angels on the side and the people coming, meeting him in the, in the skies. And so he's saying, yeah, and that's, that was what you would do if a, an emperor or a king visited your town as you would send a delegation out to join them on the road before they got to your town. And then you would uh, come in with them, welcoming, welcoming them, uh, the king into your town. And that's what will happen if for those who have passed, for those on earth will be waiting here. And then those who have passed, they will uh, come with him to bring, usher, usher in his coming. Um, and then lastly, there's a prayer in five and just a prayer for hope that uh, you should always be holy as you await this arrival of Jesus. So kind of cool. And then again, this hope that we have should motivate faithfulness. So so he's going to really talk about we should um, always look to be holy and have love and a future hope of Christ's coming. But we should also work hard, keep ourselves sexually clean, as well as he talks about being kind when, when bad things happen to you as answering with faith and kindness. So that's kind of 1 Thessalonians. Um, let's turn the page and talk about 2 Thessalonians. The letter to the Second Thessalonians takes place fairly soon, we think, after the first letter. So Paul sends off this letter. Remember, he wasn't sure what their status was going to be. He was overjoyed to find that they had grown. And when he sends this second letter, he finds out that the things that he had kind of coached them on had not only had they fixed, they'd gotten worse. So he writes this very, very brief letter. It's only three chapters. It'll take you like two minutes to read. But he writes this letter to kind of um, talk about some more things that they were uh, being challenged with. And so uh, he has it in three parts, and the three chapters work pretty well for that. The first one is hope despite persecution. So remember, this persecution is going to continue. Ask yourself, why do we have so many letters about persecution? I mean, that was kind of the first century Christianity, right? But that doesn't apply to us, does it? Does it? Well, it might. And if it hasn't, it probably will. So I think these are going to be much more applicable letters to us as time goes on. But he gives a Thanksgiving prayer at the beginning. And again, for their faith, their love, their endurance, he's grateful for those things. And he realizes that the persecution has intensified. And again, he reminds them that the suffering that they are participating in is part of God's kingdom. And Jesus's followers should show their victory, their victory through nonviolence and endurance. So tough words, tough things to do. Then he goes back on against this Jesus's return. So when Christ comes, though, he's going to give justice. 
So you don't need to be doing all this yourself. There's no vigilante justice in the kingdom. Um, the Lord will grant you justice. And so that will the ultimate tragedy will be when people turned away from Christ today, that they'll get what they wanted in the future. They didn't want anything to do with the gospel today, and they will have nothing to do with it later. So that's what he kind of talks about a little bit in one. Um, but he wants to commend them to to the Lord them. Then he goes back to this day of the Lord. If you haven't done day of the Lord, you'll see it. Um, and it first comes up in Moses when they cross the Jordan or they're crossing into the Jordan. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Red Sea. They're crossing the Red Sea with Moses and the Exodus. And they have this song and they say the day of the Lord is the first time we hear it. This day that he has uh, given us victory and salvation. So this idea of this victorious day when when the Lord will be with us, like Exodus, is a common theme. And in fact, it's one of Amos's famous themes is the day of the Lord. Now, sometimes they would be like, that'll be great when the day of the Lord comes because those bad guys will get what's coming to them, the day of the Lord. And Amos really cautions them and says, you're not going to love the day. of." The I don't know why you guys are so excited about it because you're doing so poorly that it's not going to be a good day for you. So you might have heard the great and dreadful day of the Lord. They kind of added that on the front. It would be great for some and dreadful for others. So some of the ancient Israelites were really excited about the day of the Lord. And he's like, you shouldn't be. And then that, that idea comes back again, the day when the Lord ar arrives, returns, and it's usually a victorious day. And so which side will you be on? And so Paul in second Thessalonians two is going to take that concept of day of the Lord, right? The return. And he's going to say, um, the day of the Lord in some ways is already here. So some people are saying, Hey, I thought that he would maybe have come and, and, and we got left behind and it was be a thief in the night. So did he abandon us? They were very worried. See, they thought that it was coming like, they were probably coming up with dates, frankly, but they thought that it had already passed and maybe they got left behind. They didn't understand it. And Paul is saying it kind of comes in two parts. First, it's already here. The Lord's already with us today. He's reestablished his kingdom. And he is saying, he's never saying that, um, that they would, um, he's like here today. You know, he's saying, well, kind of. That's not exactly what I said, right? <laughs> so he's correcting that. But he then is going to say, hey, remember what I taught you. And I taught you that the world will keep producing rulers and who rebel and exalt themselves and are above God. Isaiah talks about one, like Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel talks about one. Um, and then you see the Babylonians and the Romans. And so there's this rebel, this king that's supposed to be coming, but there's going to be a bad one, right? This series. And they're going to wreak violence and havoc on God's world, but not forever. Jesus will confront the rebel and he will deliver his people. So the point is, when he tells these stories is that he's not trying to get you into some kind of speculation about when are the last days, right? He's trying to reassure you that you haven't missed them and that they will be a good day and just recall Jesus's teachings. So he wants to give them comfort and strength in these persecuting times. I think that's good advice to us too. I think we see the apocalyptic things like we're tracking down the signs, we're trying to make them happen and they're not about that at all. They're like, I'm going to give you comfort that it isn't here yet. The last is chapter three. Again, this challenge against the idol, which we kind of talked about this patron and client or something that maybe they were just sitting around waiting. Again, if they thought that the second coming, this day of the Lord was imminent, maybe they had checked out. Um, you might think that's a little bit ridiculous. I have a friend who has a, a colleague at work 
who has um, put off retirement because he didn't put any money away. He thought that the second coming would be here. And so he didn't save. So, uh, brothers and sisters, don't be silly, but work hard. Be able to use that money to support yourself, but also to give back and let the day of the Lord take care of itself. Anyway, so that was kind of, that's his letter uh, to the Thessalonians for the second letter. Again, also, let's not speculate about timelines. Let's be inspired about hope and faithfulness, even in times of persecution. And then what you hope for shapes what you live for, right? Whatever we hope for. So those are, that's the overview of the first and second letter to the Thessalonians. All right, questions, thoughts, comments? All right, we'll keep on reading. And next time we'll jump into some of the verses and see if we can't uh, unpack some of the awesome teachings of Paul.